Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I am your host, Jordan Rodriguez, and with me, as always, my fabulous co-host, Rich Hammond. Rich, how we doing? Well, Jordan, I, I guess we're back to happy podcast mode Yay. now, right? <laughs> it seems like we pretty much go every other week uh, with the uh, results of the Rams game, but a lot to talk about in this one, but I, I think overall, uh, a pretty good win, right? Yeah, you know, not a, not a lot to be upset with. Um, you know, as we've kind of seen a couple dicey series here and there, one big defensive chunk play that we'll get to here in a minute. But really solid win all around, I think, from the Rams. Really, really needed sort of a palate cleansing win um, with their trip to Arizona, 38-28 over the Cardinals. Currently are in first place in the NFC West, although Sean McVay said that doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> which I think is a fair approach. But yeah, Rich, what what did you think about yesterday's game? Yeah, I mean, higher scoring than I anticipated and a little bit of a slow go there in in, in the first quarter. But uh, look, the Rams defense, to, to do that to Kyler Murray and uh, to just completely shut him down. I mean, I know they changed things up a little bit. The Cardinals did in the second half, trying to move the ball horizontally a little bit more, just trying to do anything to get the ball into DeAndre Hopkins' hands. Um, and, and they ended up finding a little bit of success there and putting some some points on the board. But my goodness, you, you mentioned that big chunk play, the 59-yarder. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, other than that, I mean, I think there was like four three and outs uh, in a row. Uh, Jared Goff's game, very interesting. Of course, we're going to talk about him, but it, it seems like they had a very clear plan in mind uh, to, to have Jared be successful in this game, right? Let's start with the man with the plan, Rich. Jared, <laughs> I don't know his middle name, Goff. Yeah, you know what? He needed this game. I mean, let's not sugarcoat it. And Lord knows we haven't been sugarcoating things over the athletic.com, whether it's via our podcast or uh, various mailbag questions. I, I like to think we, pr- we stayed pretty even keel. You know, it was more like, Jared, we have an issue with your turnovers and not necessarily you personally and your existence. <laughs> but, you know, we, we, we get some interesting comments. <laughs> um, you know, I, Obviously, the big place to start, Rich, is is no turnovers. And I think that was, first of all, the most crucial aspect of what Jared could go out and do on Sunday, and that is take care of the football. I mean, it's what Sean had said he had to do publicly. Yeah, and and he did. Uh, Jared Thomas Goff, by the way. Oh, you Googled yeah. it. Good for you. I did. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like when you when you do something wrong and your parents, you know, have to say <laughs> your full name. Maybe that's what Sean did to him this week in the meetings every week. You know, just Jared Thomas Goff. You have to take better care of the ball. We we can't have turnovers. But yeah, Jordan, it's the one thing we said, right? I mean, there's there's some things that you can't control in a game, and there's some things that you can as a quarterback, and and the big one is taking care of the ball. And and he did. There there was one play where he Ooh, he got hit. <laughs> yeah, there was one where I was like, uh oh, and, and he got hit just as the ball was coming out. But otherwise. Uh, uh, you know, did a nice job. It, it, slow start. You noted in your in your column the pile, which is is now up and running on the athletic uh, app and and website. I thought you made a really good point that that Jared didn't just bounce back from last week, but he bounced back from a pretty slow start on Sunday. Also, uh, he did not have a particularly sharp looking 
uh, first quarter, but then he he, he found it, and uh, I, I thought Sean did a nice job with his play calling too, and and some of the designs of the of the formations uh, to make Jared feel more comfortable. So it, it certainly wasn't a, a lights out, you know, really exciting performance, but it was it was solid, and and that's what Jared needed yesterday, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, he started five for 10. There was a little bit of a a shaky start there, the first two series. That's when you also saw the near interception by Patrick Peterson. Um, Yes, you know, he was under duress and the ball went pretty much directly to Pat Peterson, but um, it was called back. And and so that was sort of a an exhale, I think, and and maybe he got a little bit more settled after that. And then he actually went on after that first two series, went on to complete 32 of his last 37 throws, which is outstanding. And Robert Woods, I asked Robert specifically about this after the game because it seems like an obvious question, but sometimes it's really good to hear a player talk about it is just what does it do in terms of getting into the the depth and the breadth of your playbook when you're not turning over the football. Because remember, it's not just that you're giving the ball back to the other team, but you're also kind of starting over your cadence every time then you result, um, you turn the ball over and then eventually you get it back and come back on offense. You're basically starting over your plan. And if the other team has scored, which other teams, um, you know, the defense had been handling pretty well when, when they had turned the ball over, but you know, sometimes they're going to score. And, and if that happens, then you change your plan again. And so then you, you're in a different portion of the playbook. And so it's really interesting now, though, because Robert Woods was like, listen, when you get into a rhythm like this and all of our receivers at that point, we know what calls are coming because this is a veteran enough group where they have a really good feel for it. And obviously super, super savvy group. And yeah. he he also said that you can really tell when Sean McVay and Jared start to click into sync with each other when, again, when you're not truncating portions of your game plan because the quarterback has turned the ball over. And then you can settle into a flow and get more comfortable. And I think even show a little growth in some areas, um, including Jared Goff was excellent on third down um, after those first two series. And then also Sean McVay was excellent in his calls on fourth down. And I think it gives you a little bit of growth in, in various small areas that you don't notice as much when you're consistently flowing, but when you do have those really heavy turnover performances and you see how discombobulated things get, and then you turn it around and you see what it's more so supposed to look like, um, right down to Jared handing the ball to Austin Blythe to spike instead of taking it himself, (laughs) which I love as a detail. Um, You really get into some of that growth period. And so, you know, several weeks ago, Rich, I know it's it's so funny because you and I think, oh my gosh, okay, we're so up and down. It's like two weeks where we're like, yay. And then two weeks where we're like, uh-oh. And a couple weeks ago, I had written about how well Jared was performing against the Blitz. And then, you know, the next week came out and had the the three turnover game. And then this week, so then you write about that. And then this week, it's like, okay, all the pieces are coming back together for him. So it's possible for his better games to come from his worst games. Whether or not Rams fans are okay with that, um, I think if you can put together more good ones than bad ones, obviously, <laughs> that's a good thing. Yeah. But it's it's so interesting to me to see that process. But then I thought Robert's comments were were actually illuminating, even though it might seem like an obvious note, but the the small variables that come forth when you're able to relax and get into your rhythm, I think are notable. Yeah, in some ways, I really liked hearing Robert's comments because it, it kind of reinforced for me something I'd always thought, which is there is kind of a, 
a feel element to, to that Rams offense. And you can see it if, if you watch them enough. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners have, you know, watched every game since, since well, since, certainly since 2017, many going back to the 70s or, or before that. But point being, you can, I think, see it sometimes. And it's almost like an intangible. It doesn't show up in the stats, but you can see whether it's the play calling rhythm or, or just how, how Jared looks. Uh, there, there's definitely a difference when when that uh, when that offense has some rhythm, some chemistry, or or when they're just kind of disjointed and they don't know what to do next, and nothing seems to be working. You can tell it's it's almost like a almost like a piece of music or something where you can tell if everybody's playing at the on the same you know tune or, or whatever. But uh, so I, I was glad to hear Robert say that that mm-hmm. that wasn't just a part of my imagination uh, over the over the last couple of weeks. But but yeah, Jordan, it is. It's it's now back to well. Now it looks. Pretty good, but then you know, not to jump far ahead because I know we have a lot to talk about this game. But now, who's coming to town? The evil, <laughs> the evil master, Bill Belichick, is is coming to town, or he's already here actually because they just they just beat the pants off the off the Chargers, forty five to nothing. Um, so they're they're actually hanging in Los Angeles uh, for for the next couple of days here before Thursday's uh, game. So you, you talk about a challenge, you're not going to get a, a much more. Uh, fierce challenge than than facing uh, Belichick again, but you know Jordan. The other thing I liked is that sometimes it's the simple things, you know, and and you feel kind of at least I feel kind of dumb sometimes saying something that's so simplistic, but rolling Jared out, yes, and, and you know you can't do it every play, of course, but but I think my eyes told me I, I don't know what yours told you, but my eyes told me that they did it more. And that when they did it, it was not only effective, but it really seemed to make Jared comfortable. So again, I know you can't do that every single play, but it just does seem like when they do it, it gets that offense in a rhythm. Yeah, something that I've always thought is really fun about Jared is that he is certainly not a running quarterback, and yet he throws incredibly well on the run. (laughs) You know, and there was one throw, and I think it was to Robert Woods actually, um, where. Jared acts actually just just unfurled just a beauty of a bullet throw right to Robert Woods when he was um, rolling out. And, you know, things like that are are where you, you sit there and you say, OK, this is the guy that I know. This is the guy that I recognize. But then when it's a fiasco, you also think, oh, man, this is the guy mm-hmm. I recognize. You know, so it's it's been really interesting where I think um, I saw a lot of mental toughness with Jared, which I think I don't personally, I didn't have any concern about that. I think that when you are so up and down throughout the course of a year, um, I I think in general, you worry about quarterbacks maybe having a little bit of, um, you know, some confidence issues at times, or they, they kind of start to feel ghosts or see ghosts or in various ways, not just with pressure, but just in different, different things, different facets of the game. Um, one big mental toughness area, though, was that third and 12, I believe it was, um, on in the third quarter. So basically, the, the scenario is this. So Jared Goff's cruising, right? But you're, you're still sitting there and you're like, okay, is this real? Is this, <laughs> like, is, he, right. is this really happening? And because, again, sometimes he's, he's streaky throughout even the course of a game. But he's, he is just cranking. He had missed one throw and I think 14 attempts at that point. And they're in the third quarter and punt returner Simba Webster um, obviously had a, had the really costly fumble and then Arizona got points off of it. And there's really not much you can say against the defense in that regard because the Cardinals recovered the fumble 
you know, inside the red zone. Right. So, so Jared comes back out on the field and orchestrates this scoring drive to respond in which at one point they had a third and 12 and, and Sean McVay mentioned that there was a play call early in that series that he really hated that he called. And it was like a screen to Gerald earlier or something like that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so they come back and they're on third, third and 12 and, Jared Goff just very coolly executes this catch and run play with Gerald Everett. And then obviously Daryl Henderson scores a 38 yard rushing touchdown a couple plays later. But that was the thing. It's like some weeks you've seen the Rams had have had some inability to rally after a moment such as that, specifically after if it's the offense turning the ball over, not necessarily special teams even, but if it's the offense turning the ball over, coming out the next drive and still not quite getting it, still not quite being able to put it together. And you've seen that in a couple of games this season, but this was not the case. And I thought that showed um, a lot of mental toughness and particularly coming out and doing that after, you know, Sean had sort of for the first time publicly commented on his need to take care of the ball better and right. um, Jared sort of really, um, you know, hitting the books with Kevin O'Connell this last week. I thought that was really huge. Yeah, I mean, that sequence there was just wow. I mean, they, you know, they, they like you said, they recovered the fumble. Uh, they scored to make it 24-21. There's still plenty of time left. It was early. Um, in the fourth quarter so I mean they had they had a whole quarter basically and you kind of went oh this is where this, this is, is where the where wheels could apart. come off yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> and then they come out you know Jordan that sequence that you're talking about they come out and the first play is is a pass to to Gerald and they lose four yards so they're they're second and 14 and then they pick up a little bit uh, with that with that pass to Robert Woods but like you said left them that third and long and, and what a great play that was because I, I think they went tempo with it too and they didn't they just kind of got up quickly and and I, I don't know what happened with the coverage somebody kind of lost uh, a Gerald, Gerald I think and, and Jared was able to hit him uh, really really quickly and yeah that's I mean if that goes the other way if that's an incompletion right there and they have to punt then oh boy I mean that's a that's a big big problem so yeah show showed a little bit there it, it was just again it was a to me it was a stabilizing game like I know a lot of people and, and we can talk about this, too, because I know you, you had some interactions on, on Twitter and you mentioned it in your column. Oh, they're, they're not hitting the big plays. Why are they not throwing the ball yeah. down the field? Well, OK, but they scored 31 points, which is on, on offense with, with an extra seven from courtesy of Troy Hill. But, uh, you know, 31 points on offense. Uh, Jared throws for 351 yards. They run for 119. I mean, it's it's not <laughs> it's it's not about being aesthetically pleasing here. I mean, they 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 got the job done against the defense. But I, I know a lot of people still have questions about you know the deep ball and all that. But to me, it was it was kind of a workmanlike effort, and and it was exactly what they needed in that game. Yeah, one of the one of the nitpicks I have, and and like. I mean, guys, I'm just going to probably have one, at least one every game. That's just how, <laughs> how it is. I think you have to troubleshoot even your even your wins. I think you have to troubleshoot. And honestly, I would I would assume most, if not everyone inside the Rams building would agree with me on that, where you still have to troubleshoot your wins, which is why in the Dallas game, for example, right at the beginning of the season, I was like, hey, let's talk about this time that Sean McVay didn't go for it on fourth down. Could we be concerned right. about that down the line? Oh, and as it turns out, Sean McVay is ultimately turned into one of the most conservative fourth down play calling coaches in the National Football League. But, you know, what do I know? So anyway, so it's it's interesting because I did have a nitpick about um, 
this throw. And it wasn't even the throw, right? Jared had a great throw on third down. It was like third and three. He converted to Tyler Higby. He was under pressure, had to get the ball off quickly. I had this nitpick about the play because, as you see, basically a half a second, as so as Jared is letting the ball go out of his hand, Cooper Cup is then breaking free of his coverage and moving downfield. And, and if Jared had been able to hold on to the ball for even a quarter millisecond longer, he might have <laughs> been able to hit Cooper in stride for a touchdown instead of the third down conversion. Right. Let's think about the way that we are troubleshooting these things and and sort of debating about these things because it's okay to get the third down conversion. I think that's fantastic. And like I said, Jared was great on third down um, throughout the course of, of last night's game after those first two series. But let's also consider the fact that leading up until now, the number one question I've been getting is why don't they have anyone downfield why aren't they throwing the deep ball why aren't this is like this number two question behind cam Akers, which now is no longer a question which we'll get to in a minute (laughs) but it's like why why aren't they doing why aren't they um taking the top off of defense well they're scheming it but the way that their offense is designed if you look at jared goff week over week he is um you know, near the bottom of the league in terms of air yards per play. And that's okay because, again, if you're winning football games that way and you're getting explosive plays with receivers who can run after the catch, if you're efficient on third down and you're moving the sticks and you're converting in the red zone and you're breaking off larger runs and setting up short, shorter yardage passing plays, which is the idea of the Rams' offense, then that is okay and everyone breathe, okay? But if you don't have a lot of time to throw, and at some point you're going to need that play because teams are now keying in on the fact that, okay, it's not just that he is wanting to get rid of the ball quicker. It's because he has to because there are some discrepancies. Even though the offensive line is playing extremely well, there still are some discrepancies in terms of his pocket breaking down and how he is against pressure. So they're scheming up easier ways for him to get the ball out of his hand, and he is responding extremely efficiently, which is a part of that play that you saw and there was a like a pocket a coverage pocket and Tyler Higby found it really nicely and you know his coverage was sitting back a little bit with some cushion and Tyler Higby found it really nicely past the sticks and Jared got the ball off to him great play right well other teams are not going to let you have that Miami didn't let you have that I would I would assume Bill Belichick is not going to let you have that because he is looking at the exact same play right now and seeing that it's not just that Goff is not able to get the ball to Cooper on a longer extending play downfield, which, by the way, exists within the design, but not within the execution. And not just that, but also, what do you do now when you're not giving the cushion? Okay, because you have to now then be okay with winning the math on those longer downfield plays, which we haven't really seen. So... It's not that I think it was a bad play. (laughs) Right. I just think that it what I was trying to communicate on Twitter, which is, as we know, the, the best place to communicate oh, ideas. Yeah. yeah. But what I was trying to communicate is it's indicative of a few different things that might pop up down the stretch. And that also is indicative of where, you know, the number, the main question that people are, are, you know, kind of asking all the time, where are the explosive um, air yards plays? Well, they're not, they're not there. They're designed at times, but they are not 
they're not a natural part of what this offense is trying to do right now. And and in part because they are getting, you know, when they do get a little bit more of that cushion to execute the short yardage plays, when they're able to be efficient on third down, when they're able to move the ball downfield and um, sort of dink and dunk their way downfield, and then also count on a few couple of yards after the catch explosives and run explosives to um, sort of be their version of quote unquote stretching the field, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And and if you can, those are also higher percentage plays. And if you can move yes. the ball that way, then why wouldn't you? I mean, and obviously the Rams did. They moved it for 350 passing yards and they scored 30 plus points. So if, if you're able to do that, I, yeah. I don't know. Again, it doesn't look as, as fun. Uh, it's not like, you know, Madden football throwing the ball around. But but if it's efficient, why wouldn't you do that? And yeah, Jordan, I, I agree 100% there. And, and again, it's uh, you don't want to get too simplistic with this sometimes but yeah it's 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 not I I hope people don't have the impression that it's just not part of the playbook because you know I see some of the tweets to or comments why don't they why don't they throw the ball deep okay well I guarantee you I I would bet every last cent that I have that there are plays in Sean McFay's playbook or on his call sheet that that involve deep routes and again this is part of the problem with watching games on TV too is you don't get to see yeah (laughs) entirely yeah you you don't when when you when you watch it on tv too you don't get to see the routes you don't you don't get to see where guys are going you don't get to see how they're being covered you don't get to see where the quarterback is looking so i guarantee you those plays are there but as jordan just said so well that doesn't mean they're going to happen it doesn't mean they're always going to be targeted doesn't mean they're always going to be completed and it doesn't mean that that's the best play. And right. oftentimes it is not. And and the only other thing I would I would push back against is, and I've seen it a little bit, and, and I understand, but, you know, there's been fans, readers who say, well, they just, they don't have the deep threat. You know, they don't, they don't have Brandon Cooks anymore. Yeah. Okay. May, maybe there's nobody on the roster who has the same foot speed, you know, straight line foot speed as, as Brandon Cooks does. Um, I'll grant that. But I don't think that is indicative of, of a deep passing game. No. Uh, they, they have guys on the roster. Cooper Cup, I mean, go back, you know, look at highlights of any over the last three years. Cooper Cup can beat you deep. Robert Woods can beat you deep. Gerald Everett, when he when he gets the right matchup, can can get down the field and beat you deep. We saw that in the in the Chiefs game in in 2018, that that uh, wild high scoring game. Uh, Gerald Everett had the big 40 yard touchdown where where he got behind somebody and and made a huge play. Um, these guys can do it, uh, and and they're they're so good with their routes. I mean, Cooper Cup, yeah, he, maybe he's not going to beat you in a 40 yard dash, but but he can get behind people. Um, so I, I really don't think that's the, and I didn't even mention Josh Reynolds. I mean, that's another guy who can, who can get behind you. And, yeah. and, uh, so I, I, I'm not really buying that. I'm not really buying that it's, oh, if they had a, if they had a speedy receiver, then they could just chuck the ball down the field. It's, it's so many, uh, different things. And I don't think either one of us even mentioned the fact that, you know, you have to have the protection too yeah. with, with your offensive line. So these, when, when you talk about, you know, air yards down the field, a uh, 30, 40, 50 yard pass, uh, those take longer to develop and, and you have to have that pocket uh, integrity to, to be able to do those things. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not blaming the Rams offensive line, but no. Yeah, it's just it's all of this, right? So, I mean, it's yeah. it's not just one thing. Like it's it's all of this, and 
you know, maybe there'll be a scenario where that those are the right plays and those that's the right strategy. But I just I didn't necessarily think it was this week. Yeah. Okay. So I love that you said that. First of all, um, you and I. It's so funny. Someday we have to just publish our Slack conversation into a book or something because we. <laughs> some of them. Some well, of them. yeah, we'll yeah. Re- redact some of them, <laughs> yeah. um, including our uh, our talking heads jokes from the other yes. day. <laughs> um, <laughs> Okay, so I love that you said that because um, this is something I've been thinking a lot about, obviously, since the beginning of the season when we weren't really seeing a lot of those explosive, specifically explosive air yards plays. And for those listening who are um, maybe just wanting to learn more about this, there's a, a difference between, obviously, explosive air yards plays, which is the ball traveling through the air and just measuring that distance and passing yards in general. And we see that better than anyone else really in the league with Robert Woods and Cooper Cup and the way that they run after the catch. So even though their final stats count as total passing yards, let's say you take, I think it was, it might have, it might have been week one against Dallas when 90 of, uh, Robert Woods is like 120 or so or 110 yards, 90 of them came after the catch. So getting the right. ball on short passes and then creating yards after the catch. And that's part of the reason why they, they paid these guys is not only because they do everything, including fly the plane home at the end of the night, but also because they can they can create explosives. So here's the thing. And I want you guys to really hear me. <laughs> the Rams entered this week's or week their week 13 matchup. The Rams entered their week 13 matchup ranked number six in the NFL in explosive passing plays. Hmm. Number six. Very good. Very, very yes. good. Yes. <laughs> okay. So just because those plays are not happening completely over the top, sure, that changes up some of the coverage options, but let's think about probabilities. Okay. So statistically, and you take the entire body of data from the league from the last decade, and statistically, you find that explosive air yards plays, the deep ball, quote unquote, is the lowest probability play passing slash receiving play in the National Football League, okay? You are you are literally, there's a reason they call them 50-50 balls at times. <laughs> you literally have um, between a 47% and 52%-ish chance of making that play, right? So there's a reason why they're just not saying, okay, guys, let's go draft the, the um, Team USA track guys and have everyone run nines down the field and then just unfurl it. There's a reason, right? It's a low probability play. Okay. So you're already at 50 about let's, let's even be generous and say 50%, right? You're already at 50% because then you have to factor in, is your receiver good at making what it will inevitably be a contested catch? If you don't have that guy, your probability then goes down. Okay. What's the corner? What's the corner situation? Are you going up against a Darius Williams, a Jalen Ramsey who can make a play on the ball? Um, if so, or even close in that area where it's going to continue to be heavily contested, your probability goes down even further. Okay. Then you factor in the fact that your offensive line, this is through no fault of theirs, but they are blocking to a point where you understand that your quarterback is going to need to get the ball out of his hand in two and a half seconds or less because of the way that he statistically and traditionally responds to specifically four-man pressure. So when you're not trying to beat a blitz on a short pass, your regular got to have guys covering downfield on a long play so you're not bringing extra blitz 
pressure because then then you lose the math. You have guys covering downfield, which you would normally have on these longer plays. Um, you know that your quarterback specifically struggles more against normal four-man pressure than he has recently against the blitz pressure. So if you don't get the ball out of your hand within about two and a half seconds, which is, I think, a f- is fair considering, again, the way that their offense is set up and it's not a knock on anybody, then your probability goes down even further at And at that point, even, you are statistically more probable to turn the ball over. Okay, so you've you've dipped from a 50-50 ball way down, way, way down. And then you factor in, how have you set up the play? Are you on a long third down? Are you, you know, where are you at on the field? You there's so many situational factors. It's like, okay, what if you instead, (laughs) (laughs) what if you instead put the ball in Robert Woods's hands and and statistically speaking, because he has the most year over year, the most yak yards in the NFL, records the most yak yards in the NFL year over year. So statistically speaking, and and in terms of the pattern and probability, you know that he is more likely to break off a larger play than he is to have a smaller play after the catch. So why, and then then also, also if you're getting the ball into his hands from a shorter distance and then trusting to make that explosive play. You also know that the probability of a fumble, um, a pick, a contested, um, you know, pass breakup, those things go down as well. So you're moving at a more efficient and higher probability rate. But I I joked about this the other day. These are not the plays that get our dopamine levels going. (laughs) Right, right. That's the thing. That's you want to see... And I know people say too, like, "Oh, you need to, you need to get the respect of the defense." You do. Uh, I mean, you do have to. Yeah. Stri- like, I think it's fine if you have a yeah. guy who also maybe like returns punts for you, which we will get to. Oh yeah. Um, and that. you stretch him out. You you send him in on a couple of nines, or you send him out like on on a couple of deep routes. Um, and and you you show maybe once or twice on film that you can do the longer. That's great. I think you do. Yes, you still want that. Is it absolutely crucial that you have it? I think they're experimenting with figuring out whether it is, to be honest with you. Right. Yeah. Because, look, uh, just to, to put a final uh, exclamation point on your on your statement there is, look, I'm, I'm, I'm reading. I'm not going to editorialize here. I'm, I'm reading off the, <laughs> off the stat sheet. Uh, the longest plays for the Rams on Sunday. The longest, obviously, was the 38-yard uh, run by Daryl Henderson, the touchdown run. Second longest, 30 yards. And it, this is how it's listed on the play sheet. Jared Goff, pass short right to Malcolm Brown. The next one, 22 yards. Jared Goff, pass short right to Cam Akers. 22 yards. Jared Goff, pass short right to Gerald Everett, which is the play that you uh, mentioned, that big third down play there. So these are the explosive plays. They're, they're not happening in the air, and they're also not 40, 50, 60-yard bombs like Baker Mayfield's tossing around. Like, yeah, that's that's absolutely true, uh, but they were effective. And and the other thing there, Jordan, I, I know we want to talk about the, the defense, too. I, I feel bad. We just, we, we kind of take them for granted, but I didn't I didn't want one thing to go without saying, or maybe one, one and a half things. Uh, Cam Akers, his role in, in this game uh, specifically, and also I know something near and dear to your heart, uh, <laughs> getting him involved in the pass game and, and getting the, the running backs, those those layups, as, as you love to say, uh, to, to move the ball down the field. And, and you saw it here, a couple of the biggest plays, two of the three 
biggest plays of the game yardage-wise. Uh, started off basically as little dump-offs, layups to the to the running backs, and, and they turn into 20, 30-yard plays. So uh, that factors in, too. It's, it's not just, like we've been saying, it's not just how far the ball travels in the air. Yeah, you have to set up layers. It's like making the perfect sandwich, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. here, here they come, Rich. Okay. <laughs> the food, the food metaphors are food back. Reference. Okay, so what I kind of see it as, so like you don't necessarily need to have passing plays to your running backs. Like you don't need to run your backs out of the backfield, and you don't need to target them. It's not like it should never be like the bread of your sandwich. It shouldn't. Because you can lose a lot of football. And we saw this. Again, I, I know I bring them up all the time, but we saw this poor Christian McCaffrey and and um, and Cam in, in Carolina. You can still lose a lot of football games if even if that's the bread and butter of your offense. So you don't you don't want that to be the bread for the sandwich. What you could use it as is like, you know, when they ask you, do you want a little sprinkle of pepper on this sandwich? Just to just enhance it just a little bit to get you in right. that real good sandwich eating rhythm, right? <laughs> or whatever kind of spread you want, just to make the sandwich more palatable, you know? Like, it, what what kind of just extra, extra enhancement or extra like this really makes you just really enjoy this sandwich. This sandwich is really clicking on all cylinders. It's really found its rhythm as a sandwich, you know? Like, I think <laughs> I think that that's what I like to see out of working running backs into the passing game, right? And, Rich, I know, I know you, even more so maybe than me, have been waiting to see Cam Akers really hit his stride in the rushing game. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and all the fantasy owners, too. Don't forget your, your favorite people. <laughs> in the entire world. Big day, big day for them. And uh, yeah, you, you saw it. Uh, Cam Akers did a lot of good things in that game. I mean, you talk about the catch and run, but uh, he ran some with some authority there too. To and, the left uh, side, but, wide left. The left. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, really liked what I saw there. And uh, I, don't, I don't know how this is going to evolve, but uh, you know, obviously Daryl Henderson, tough game for him, ends up picking up a little bit of a knock injury uh, early on. So don't know quite what his you know, percentage of health was throughout the game. Obviously, he came back in and and continued to play, but it seemed pretty clear that that Cam Akers was the was the best option. But again, Jordan, I we don't know. We have no idea what this means for Thursday. We've we've seen it go from week to week. But um, I, I think you you mentioned it in in one of your recent stories. I think it was uh, might have been your mailbag on uh, on Friday that you ran just about you know Cam now. Fully getting up to speed after not only uh, a you know a truncated weird off season, but then uh, the ribs injury that he had, just taking him out of practice. As you mentioned, it's not just the game reps; it's the practice reps too uh, that that he wasn't able to get. And now probably getting a, a more full understanding of of what they're trying to do. He's back to physical health and all that. So. Uh, again, we say all this and, and I'm heaping praise on everybody and we'll probably get to Thursday and it'll be like two carries for nine yards, right? Like that's <laughs> that, that's what we'll go back to on Thursday. Yeah, I mean, I shudder to think. <laughs> <laughs> but but Jordan, how we, we've done a pretty good job of, uh, of covering the, the offense there, but we've come to expect good things from this Rams defense, but... The way that they were able to contain and limit Kyler Murray, and I know he's been dealing with a little bit of a shoulder thing, and I don't know what his level of confidence was uh, out there, but I was really impressed 
uh, with the way that they just did not let him do a whole lot at all, really. Like I said, they eventually found some of that horizontal passing game and, and they picked up some yardage. But but my goodness, did, did that exceed your expectations as much as it did me? Yeah, well, to me, it was like pretty much at what I think I've I've been expecting from the defense, not to sound um, yeah. like an arrogant jerk, but <laughs> no, yeah. I've been really excited about this defense since the day, the day I set foot in training camp. So it's it's been really interesting. What I what I want to do, Rich, is um, extrapolate the front half and the back half because I think they each tell their own story that's just really fascinating, right? So the front seven, first of all, wow. Great game. Um, So they moved the pocket really well, and you can look and see that they're doing that because you can go to next-gen stats, and there are these charts that are really fun and and actually pretty um, appealing to the eye, actually. They found a good color scheme for that. They're using the the Royal for the Rams, (laughs) (laughs) unlike the Rams should be doing, by the way. That's right. We'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that. I know you you can't leave us without your uniform stats. Okay, so... um, there, a couple of their players, um, Aaron Donald, obviously attaining the the closest distance to the quarterback on average per snap. The league average is something like four point five two yards. Aaron Donald is consistently at four point one. Obviously, he got home with a sack, um, sort of started things off for the Rams against Kyler. But then also they were getting a little bit more complimentary outside pressure from a guy who has sort of been coming along and showing flashes week to week, and that's Justin Hollins. Justin Hollins also had a strip sack, um, yeah. and and Greg Gaines recovered it, which was great because Greg Gaines came in when Michael Brockers was injured and needed to step up, and um, they, they've done a really great job on that rotation, I think. So in considering... It's it's exactly what we were talking about them needing to do is have that Pac-Man effect in the front. And and even Ashawn Robinson on some of these, <laughs> that dude yeah. can move. I mean, that tackle, yeah. he I mean, he can move. So, you know, guys, Sebastian Joseph Day had a heck of a game. You know, guys who are, are really disrupting that interior and creating like what we say, that Pac-Man where they're pushing the the edge of the circle in to create sort of a Pac-Man and then the quarterbacks on the opposite side and then the perimeter guys run you know come off the edge for when this this guy eventually tries to flush and then he can't flush because the other guy's right there um the thing that I really loved that they were doing in in tandem with that was they were getting their arms and their heads and their bodies into throwing lanes. And you saw Miami actually do a really good job of this against Jared Goff back before the bye week. And the Rams have now, I think, really improved in that regard in terms of being busy in the throwing lanes and particularly against a quarterback who's a little bit smaller in stature than your average quarterback in the league and just getting your arms up and and getting as disruptive and distracting inside, not just the immediate of the pocket, but also in the throwing lanes. And you saw it. I mean, Ashawn Robinson deflected a pass. Sebastian Joseph Day deflected a pass. And then they were just, they were just hassling Kyler. I mean, three completions uh, on 12 attempts in the first half. And one of them in the longest, his longest play of the game was, I think it was what that 59 yard coverage bus touchdown. Yeah on their first series, and then they were completely shut out for the rest of the first half. Yeah, yeah, and, and they only had uh, their, since I already had it open here looking at the long, Rams' longest plays, yeah, the 59-yarder, the and then they had a, 
27-yard uh, run. Uh, I'm looking for the next pass. I have to scroll down here. The <laughs> next longest pass was for 12 yards, which was in the in the third quarter. So after that 59-yarder, uh, they only had they only had one other pass uh, that went for longer than 10 yards, and that was a 12-yarder on that uh, fourth down, which is actually a dump off to to carry on Johnson. So uh, they they just didn't they didn't get anything, and I think it's such a great illustration jordan of, of what we talk about so often is you can look at sacks and again sacks are almost like the you know the, the air yards right the air yards of the defense right. like you love to see the sacks <laughs> Good uh, reference. because they're yeah <laughs> because they're they're big numbers and it's but it's it's to, to do what the rams did uh, against kyler murray was was way more impressive than you know piling up eight sacks or, or something uh, to uh, they they got him twice which is good uh, but uh, to just kind of like you said, that Pac-Man thing or almost like building the wall around him so that uh, he could not extend any of those plays. He could not have time uh, to get the ball down the field. I mean, that was that was as good of an effort um, as I, I don't watch Kyler Murray every week, obviously, but uh, but I, I don't know how you could do a whole lot better uh, than than the Rams did against him, especially in the in the first half. Like I said, second half, they started just kind of getting it out. There was a lot of screens and, yeah. and you know, dump offs and things like that because they were trying to do anything uh, to start moving the ball. And, and they did a little bit. But my goodness, they were just they didn't they weren't able to, to, to do anything there. Yeah. And something that's actually stopped them from getting into the screen game earlier, which I think Cliff Kingsbury probably would have wanted to do because that's how you can beat that type of pressure at times. Sure. Um, the the inside linebackers played, I think, one of the yeah. best games I've seen from that position all season. And I am even including, because we go back to that Troy Hill three-sack game in his, last, his first start of the season, and even Troy will say, listen, I had three sacks, but they the defensive line actually singled up all their guys and like Aaron took a double and then I was in literally I could walk through the gap and get the sack. It was a total green dog situation, all three of those sacks. So that Troy will even admit that, which God bless him. Honestly, he will even admit that. But this was a much tougher game because again, they, the Cardinals have the ability not to the same productivity and efficiency with certain playmakers that, Maybe San Francisco does, but they have the ability to work the field horizontally if they have to. And so whether that's Kyler running to the perimeter or a couple of their catch and run guys, um, short yardage plays like we started to see later in the game. But the linebackers really made it hard for them to get going into that. And, um, you know, Troy Reader led the team in tackles and was just really swarming, um, you know, to the hit point, which is what they needed from him. I only saw one one really bad miss from him and you know it looked like he was getting blocked down at that point so I I maybe can forgive him for that and then he had a pass breakup yeah like like Troy Reader pass breakup yeah I didn't have that in my Rams bingo for the season (laughs) to be honest with you and then a really great play that I loved was Kenny Young getting home on a designed run blitz. Like, really, yeah. really loved that. That was really good. Um, that was, I think, a perfect scenario for for him in terms of his skill set. And so, you know, inside linebackers, I think, played one of their and then the and then they played in in very good tandem with the defensive line, which is which is also key. And I think sometimes when you see issues happening in that second tier, the way Brandon Staley has designed his defense, it's it's really to hide. 
like they don't want to ever really pay an inside linebacker. As long as Staley is, is here, they're probably not going to pay an inside linebacker. That's just the way it is, right? So what they do, and we know this from you know our past coverage, is they send in an extra defensive back to sort of help out you know, closer to the line of scrimmage and then with some of those over-the-middle plays. And and then when teams do stretch them sideline to sideline instead of vertically. And then also um, the defensive line plays is supposed to play really gap sound and then allow the inside linebackers to, to easier sort of walk into plays, right? And and take good angles on the on the player and on the ball. So that was a really good example of them doing that yesterday, um, Sunday against the Cardinals. I think that that was such a complimentary game just from – the the front three and four and sometimes five and yeah. um and then the back two yeah and the only thing i would add to that is it's it might seem like a little bit of a non sequitur because it doesn't involve exactly uh what you're saying but john johnson i mean it's great game wow uh this is gonna be tough jordan like i don't know what's going to happen in the offseason we don't have any idea like what the salary cap is going to look like or or anything else. So it's really, really hard to, to do any type of projection. But you know what? I'm, I'm coming around now the same way that I came around about Robert Woods, where initially I thought like, well, this is this is a guy who, you, you know, it's, it's a terrible decision. It's a tough decision. But, you know, they're just they're not going to be able to keep all of these receivers. And then you think about it more and you watch it more and you go, yeah, they can't get rid of Robert Woods. And And now I kind of am back to thinking that way about John Johnson, where I started off going, yeah, you know, the Rams, it's it's kind of been their MO under under Les Snead over the last few years. They don't really pay safeties. They they kind of have a I don't want to say a revolving door, but they're they're not afraid to bring young guys in and and try people up. But I, I gotta tell you, I mean, I've been watching this team now since you know, every week since 2016, and John Johnson's impact on on that defense and, and on that field, it's it's a different level. I mean, you're not talking about some of the guys that that they've let walk like a, a TJ McDonald yeah. or LaMarcus Joyner. I mean, those are, those are guys who performed well, but, but this guy, I, I don't know. I mean, I have no idea what's going to happen with the, with the salary cap again. I don't know what he's asking for, what even the parameters are, but my goodness, if uh, I'll tell you what, if he leaves that defense, it's, it's going to leave a huge hole. Yeah. And here's the thing. I think a lot of it depends on if Brandon Staley is here for longer than, a year yeah. or two, you know, because in Brandon's defense, John Johnson is calling signals and he's playing not just the safety role, but he's also in that hybrid linebacker role, too. So, in you know, that's something that really adds value. And, and it also sort of changes the way that you look at the market, because now you sort of start to look at, OK, you know, maybe I'm not going to get top safety money, but I can get safety slash it maybe inside linebacker money and maybe we can look at that and then because the safety market is so skewed and so fluctuate like it's it's got a couple of you know premier guys at the top and then it just is absolutely tanks right so that's one of the things where the rams i think are smart to wait and see how that market sort of plays out and responds to some of these new setting yeah. guys like um how david mulgetta was able to get buddha baker some of that top money but right. Again, John Johnson's doing a different thing for the Rams, and he also is in such a huge leadership and just extremely extended role, um, even more so, obviously, than I think he would have been under prior coordinator. 
in this defense that that you have to really wonder, okay, now what kind of, of sort of dance will they do in the spring? Because I, I do know for a fact that it would be a priority if they have the money right. um, and, if, and if it's feasible to see if they could get something done with John Johnson, although they have not been talking. And part of that's because the injury, part of that is, okay, we have to see how he's going to do in this defense and, and what's gonna, what his role really will be. Now they've got a good vision of, of what it is. The other thing is I think it it's okay if John Johnson tests the market because that will, you know, that will tell him, could I be in this role somewhere else? The role that clearly is showcasing my best ability or is this a, is this a situation where maybe we go a little bit more team friendly because I know I'm still going to be a captain here because I know I'm I maybe could get a chip here. You know, I think it's going to be a really interesting dance that they do in the off season. Yeah, it's uh there's a lot of moving parts here, like you said, and uh, that's probably why it's it's wiser uh, to, to wait. And we have no idea what the landscape is going to be, what other teams' salary cap situations are going to look like. So, yeah, there's no, there's always the um, incentive or the desire, I guess, to, to have some certainty and to get it done. But I, I think you know everybody seems comfortable, at least. Uh, waiting to to see what develops, but yeah, it's just you. I just wanted to mention that because it's easy to kind of lose sight uh, again if you you know it's, it's not a guy who maybe makes a lot of splash plays or you know returns interceptions for touchdowns and things like that. But when you when you talk about a somebody who's kind of the glue uh, of that defense, I, I don't think you can do much better than than what John Johnson uh, is doing. But uh, Jordan, uh, we. <laughs> You know what it's time for, right? It's uh, not yet. Not yet. We can't nope. do it yet. We have to talk about Jalen Ramsey. We have, okay, to, okay, we have okay. to segue from John Johnson, good. who's like that that hybrid yes. front seven back half player, and we we can use him as a segue point into the secondary because Jalen Ramsey. I mean, what a, a really impressive game from him. Yeah. I, I I think you don't really quite notice it until you hear. Um, first, you look at the first half and you say, oh, my goodness, DeAndre Hopkins has been targeted twice for for zero catches and finished with eight catches for 52 yards, a touchdown that kind of I mean, it's kind of you don't want to accuse people of throwing a pick play, but looked like a pick play. <laughs> right. um, and, and and so really wasn't anybody's fault, you know, on that. And then. You look at that and then you hear on the broadcast that Cliff Kingsbury told Kyler Murray at halftime, don't be afraid of Jalen Ramsey, and then spent the rest of the game trying to scheme him away from Jalen Ramsey. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what what a message that sends. Yeah, that is pretty funny. It's like, yeah, go for it. But meanwhile. Like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it is uh, wow, and and this is just happening, you know, week after week with 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 Jalen, and uh, it's you start to look back. I mean, it was a it was a big trade. They gave up a lot, and and there's still another first round pick to come that they're that they're going to give up, uh, and obviously they paid a lot, so there was a lot of. Uh, of of you know, value in, in Jalen Ramsey, a lot of sunk cost in in him before even this the season started. But I don't know, Jordan. There's not look. You're you're not going to draft somebody like that right now uh, who's going to step in, and you're not going to be able to sign anybody else uh, from from the free agent market. So did they give up a lot? Yeah. Did they pay a lot? Yeah. 
but I don't know. I don't know who else would be doing this if if it wasn't for Jalen Ramsey. Just the the impact that he's able to make, um, it just just changes. Like we, like we just said, it changes the way that offenses play. It changes the way that uh, that, that play callers uh, approach the game. So yeah, it's uh, it is really impressive. Yeah, um, I would actually go so far as to say that having somebody who can do this when you have you you just so happen to have gotten now two of the of the elite premier and physical like whether it's a 50-50 or yards after the catch when you're talking about DK Metcalf two of the premier receivers in the National Football League for the next couple of years and in high-powered passing offenses and they happen to be in your division and you're going to see them four times a year plus playoffs and the margin of error everywhere else is so even and so thin, and now you have a guy who can completely eliminate DK Metcalf when he's on his best day, right? And then give DeAndre Hopkins just a heck of a time trying to get open, and then, you know, the ultimate line was uh, Jalen covered 34 of DeAndre's 40 routes, and then Jalen allowed six catches for 36 yards on 11 targets, which is just phenomenal, considering the way that DeAndre Hopkins can completely break a game open. And it's like, it would be like if if you asked any coach in the league, hey, would you want to play the Rams? Except um, we'll give you the option to not have to face Aaron Donald. <laughs> like you say yes every time. <laughs> you don't say, oh, you know, maybe I can, you know, do, I don't know. They say, okay, you have, to pay, you have to pay a lot of money, but you don't have to go against Aaron Donald. Like one complete facet of your game planning is just completely removed when you are are scheming against a guy like Jalen Ramsey. And it's not just that he is playing on an island, as we know. He's just going anywhere. And then when they're in, in zone, he can come in sometimes and can use, be used in run support, especially on that perimeter play, and can can be used as a blitzer. And we've seen all of these different types of packages. And it's like, that's priceless to me. I mean, and again, guys, I'm sorry because I bring up the Panthers a lot, I know. But, but okay, Julio Jones, Michael Thomas, and Mike Evans <laughs> were all in the NFC South in their prime. And the Panthers had let Josh Norman walk instead of paying him, which I guess turned out maybe to be an okay decision, but then didn't have an immediate answer. And then poor James Bradbury, who is now thriving – in New York, he had to go against these guys six times a year, six times a year. That is so stressful. Like you need somebody who is an elite guy to go against these premier receivers. And and when you talk about holding someone accountable, holding an offense accountable for where he is on the field at all times, and that's not even factoring that you have to think about Aaron Donald too. So when you have such a complement of accountability in the back half and the front half, I truly think that that is priceless. And, you know, I saw Julio go for 300 yards against the Panthers <laughs> back in 2016. So it is really, re- it could be really bad the other way. <laughs> So you really and then this is one of those high investment positions that we talk about the Rams sort of now trying to pivot toward. And when they finally shake the rest of this dead money, they're going to be able to better pivot toward this. But some of these high investment positions, it's going to be, you know, your pass rush, which they have. They're getting an Aaron Donald from the interior, no less, which is insane. And and then you also, you know, invest in your quarterback. You try to invest in a good left tackle, which they've done all these things. Um, 
good blocking receivers, and then also your top corner, your number one corner. And I think that that is such like, I don't want to say the word underrated because I don't think Jalen Ramsey is underrated at all, but I, I don't think it can be overstated how priceless having somebody who can do that. Even if the games don't all turn out this way, even if there's a an 80-yard game, maybe a two-touchdown game from one of these guys, the average overall of having to account for somebody like this, it changes what an offense is able to plan against you, and that is such um, such a valuable thing. Yeah, and these guys aren't going anywhere either who they're no. going to face. I mean, DK Metcalf's not going anywhere. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins is, I think, 28. He's he's going to be in his prime for a little while. Uh, the Niners, I mean, it's it's weird what's going on there this year, but they've got some young guy, you know, Debo Samuel, whatever ends up happening with him. Uh, he's obviously a game changer. Um, so it, it, it's going to be this way for a while. I don't think Kyle Shanahan's going anywhere. I don't think Cliff's going anywhere. Um, you know, Seattle does what they do uh, with Pete Carroll. But uh, this this division is is going to be going this way for a while. So uh, to to invest in that uh, by the Rams is is I think a, a very smart thing to do. And uh, yeah, they they gave up a lot, uh, but I, I don't know where else you'd be getting it. If, if not from Jalen Ramsey. And, and to get skill like that, you, you have to pay for it. And uh, the Rams did, but I, I think they're getting rewarded um, based on, on what we've seen here. So Yeah, absolutely. No, no buyer's remorse, I don't think, from the Rams. No, not so far. Certainly not. And then obviously, like so much of the defense in terms of winning the math on defense runs through. I mean, I described it the other day to someone as it's like you are you have these two solar systems existing on the field. So one of them revolves around Aaron Donald, and that's your, your front seven, obviously. And then John Johnson is sort of the, the traveling spaceman in between the two solar systems, right? <laughs> and then whoever they bring in is that fifth DB. And and then you have the, the second solar system, and it's, it's orbiting around Jalen Ramsey. And you start to see if you pull out um, to sort of a um, omniscient view <laughs> – Oh God! If you pull, if you pull out to sort of that that sort of big picture view, you sort of see um, how the two solar systems orbit around each of those players, and everything runs through them, and how they can win the math of these matchups um, against an offense by um, sort of correlating where those guys are on the field with with sort of the um, the numbers on either side. So it's it's really really interesting to me. It's really smart. Uh, clearly, very very hard to play against. <laughs> And then other right. guys are stepping up, like we talk about every week. John Johnson stepping up. Troy Hill, uh, is, he had a pick, his first pick six of his career yesterday and his second trip to the end zone in two weeks. I mean, you can't help but be happy for that guy, honestly. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I and mean, again, uh, the, the scoop and score last week and then uh, just a great read on, on that play, too. I mean, he, he you could see what he was looking at all the way and uh, just steps right in front of that and, and returns it pretty much to, to put the game away. So, yeah, good complimentary play there. And in two again, phases. The, in two <laughs> phases, yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they, they have guys like that. I mean, yeah, Darius Williams a little bit quieter maybe over the last couple of weeks, but then Troy Hill steps up. So, you know, you, you've got guys there who can compliment uh, uh, Jalen Ramsey. So it's all fitting together uh, very well and uh, probably make Sean McVay a little nervous because uh, the, when the phone calls start coming for Brandon Staley, uh, he, he uh, probably uh, will, he won't regret it, but he'll, he'll probably think about how fast this all has come together, maybe even a little bit faster than he uh, anticipated. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Before we wrap, Jordan, should we? <laughs> it's should coming. We, should, should we talk about uh, our, our favorite subject? <sighs> <laughs> What do we even say at this point, Rich, really? It's, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's fair to ask the question, you know, how much how much do you worry about special teams? Because... <laughs> you mean how I, much, how many minutes a day do I spend worrying about Yeah, yeah, well, maybe not you, but maybe, you know, <laughs> Sean McVay or Les Need or, or some of those people, because... Um, it's it's been an interesting, and I mentioned it on on Twitter, and, and somebody clarified, and I'm glad they did because I agree. Is is you have seen a slide here um, yeah. since, and it's not. I'm not putting it all on John Bonamago, and I don't think anybody else should either, because the slide started before. The slide started last year, really, where you just it was not quite. I mean, you go back to to 2017, 2018. I mean, the Rams are just fire on all their special teams kick game punt game return you know they had the all they had a, a pro bowl returner and Farrell cooper uh, i mean they were just they had the best special teams unit in the nfl all around and then it's just slowly slowly kind of eroding and i i know we've we spend you know minutes every week talking about the kickers but it, it's not just the <laughs> kicker to me it's it's uh, you know, some of the decisions that get made in the return game, uh, you know, obviously there was a fumble, but uh, but the return game overall has not been sharp. And, and Jordan, you mentioned, too, the, the indecision kind of at the start of the season, who was even going to be the returner and kind of going back and forth. So I don't know. Do, do we, you know, based on your your previous experience and, and things that you've seen around the league, I mean, how how worrying should this be? Or, or is it just kind of like, well, it's a little blip and, and it's way more important to focus on the offense and the defense? Yeah, you know, I can't be mad at the kicking right now because, as I kind of wrote in my column, the misses are clean. And right. um, someone in my my group text, uh, I'm in a group text with a couple of, of women writers around the league. And, um, you know, several weeks ago, the months ago, I guess, at this point, the the new Taylor Swift album was a was a big topic of conversation. Now, I'm a little bit more of a, a Tom Petty girl myself, but uh, I respect uh, Taylor Swift's new album. And somebody put in the group text uh, after watching Matt Gay kick off the left goalpost, My Kicks Ricochet, a song by Matt Gay. <laughs> it's obviously, I mean, I don't know if you, Rich, I think you like Taylor Swift, right? You you would get it. It's a play oh, off the song, My Tears yeah. Ricochet. Taylor Swift and I have a complicated history. We, yeah. we, won't, uh, we, won't, we won't go deep well, into that. Well, like, just uh, much like me and my recent history with the Rams kicking situation, I think yes. it's, it's a little complicated. You know, I think, I, I, w- I can't get mad at him for the misses. I really can't. I think um, he's he seems generally sure of himself. He also has been doing pretty well in his touchbacks. And the the returnable touchbacks really maybe wouldn't have been uh, returned in, in a normal game situation, but they're kind of like in garbage time, like we really need to play. Um, I'm more concerned about inconsistencies in the coverage unit. 
I'm more concerned about uh, the fumble and and turnovers in that regard. Um, I'm concerned that we are about to be in this in this week 14 matchup and you have not seen a complete game from the Rams special teams unit. Um, there has been either a missed PAT, a missed kick, a fumble, um, you know, really weird decision making on the on the punt returns or or even, you know, switching between returners, maybe coverage issues. Um, there's been something every single week. And so with, the thing with special teams is you don't have to have the best unit in football like you don't. All you have to do is be average. If you can be average and and eliminate mistakes and then maybe have one really good punter or like like the Rams do or a really um a kicker that that extrap like when you extrapolate his data, he he averages the mean about 87%. I think that's that's good. That's that's what kicking is. That's what special teams is. You don't want to be too inconsistent um, either way. And it's very, very rare that you have, you know, games won or lost on special teams, but um, you definitely see it happen. And you you certainly don't want to lose a game on special teams to Bill Belichick, um, who has, as we know, such a storied experience with special teams and especially showed that this last week against the Chargers, um, poor Chargers. But, you know, it's just one of those things. All, all you want is consistency. And and my understanding is that they brought in Bonamago because they felt that, you know, it wouldn't always be um, a unit in like the top 15. But if you were about at 16 and you stayed about at 16, then then that's really what you can ask for from your special teams unit. And you aren't necessarily expecting an edge every week. Yes, on your punter, from your punter with your field position, which is where, where they clearly have placed the most value. And and then you just try to stay consistent otherwise. But that has not also not happened. And in part, you you could blame some of it on, you know, the pandemic and not really getting a ton of practice time. You can blame some of it on rotating personnel, whether it's injury or you have to rotate certain guys in on the coverage units, things like that. Um, your kicking situation has certainly been in flux, which is something that I wrote about in detail last week. But you're never comfortable with it. And that's the thing. You don't want to – it's okay to, to just not notice specialty. You don't need to have this lights out, like, returner. You don't need to have the next Devin Hester, you know. You just don't want to notice them. You don't want to think about them. Other than, like, these great punts, you really just don't want to think about it. it. It should be, as Sean McVay likes to say, automatic. Right, exactly, and that's why I mean, when I talk about some of the things a couple of years ago, yeah, that was that was amazing when you had Corey Littleton blocking all these punts, and you had you know Greg Zerline could hit from you know, fifty-five to sixty yards or whatever. I mean, yeah, that's that's a bonus if you can get those things, then then great, yeah. But you just you don't want those. You don't want those negative plays. I mean, you just again. I think you said it perfect. You don't. You don't want to notice them. Just okay. Did your job. <laughs> Made that fair catch. You know, did good, pretty good job in coverage there. That's fine. Move on to the next thing. Uh, but yeah, when you when you start to notice it, then then it becomes a little bit of a problem. So yeah, I'm sure some of the you know, roster issues, personnel, practice time, whatever it may be. But uh, but yeah, when you, you get into some of these games that, that could be close, and especially since the Rams are, you know, looking like they're going to be a playoff team. Uh, I think we could say that at, at eight and four, uh, things are looking pretty good. And uh, you don't you don't want to have those mistakes pop up in, in a playoff game uh, because that's when they will cost you a game. So um, yeah, it's, it's a little bit surprising that it hasn't been cleaned up and that, uh, you know, some of the, some of the issues that they're having on the returns and that sort of thing. But uh, 
uh, I don't know. It's it's interesting to see how that's uh, kind of slid over the last couple of years. I asked Sean McVeigh in his very early Monday morning press conference because, you know, Bill was awake. So Sean also has to be awake. So, you yes. know, I asked him um, in his in his media availability, uh, are you concerned about the inconsistencies this far into the season with your special teams unit and, and what do you guys have to do to get those cleaned up moving forward? And he actually said the word, the right word wasn't concern necessarily, but instead there's a heightened sense of urgency, quote unquote, and, you know, allowed that obviously against a Bill Belichick special teams guru, you do not want to lose your game via special teams. <laughs> so I yeah. think that was pretty obvious. But um, it's going to be interesting moving forward because, um, you know, I, I don't I don't get the sense from this this group that they're really wanting to just be reshuffling coordinators or um, sort of have those inconsistencies in personnel. So it, it is going to be extremely interesting over the next few weeks um, how they sort of deal with this situation. And, and honestly, you know, sometimes you see – you'll have a veteran special teams coordinator and then they'll bring in like a former player um, to be sort of a young voice of experience um, who's, right. who's sort of noting what the trends are on, on other units around the league. And, um, you know, sometimes you, you see that as a more like, okay, now here's, here's also your guy who's been the lifer special teams guy who's really getting your players to buy in on special teams. Um, and, and just like is generally amped about life as special teams aces usually are. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think that would be an interesting move. That would probably be something I would recommend and maybe would have recommended prior to the season, but I don't know how many, you know, storied Rams special teams aces there are in history that would have been, you know, wanting to come in and, and take a position. But I do think that that would be something that they should consider moving forward. Because again, you, you have a little bit more of a buy-in and then you also have a guy, a, just a, a, another, they, you know, they've got a couple coordinators and assistants out there, but you've just got another voice in there. Um, somebody who's really respected too and, and, and known by a Johnny Hecker and a Jake McQuaid and, and hell, if Jake McQuaid ever retires, I think that's your, that's your guy right there. Uh, you, you took the words out of my mouth. Yeah. He's, he's the one who, uh, and, and you, you made reference to your story earlier, uh, great story. I think it came out after our last, last podcast. So if people haven't seen it yet, uh, Jordan basically got the, uh, the, the, the backstory of how the Rams went from Greg Zerline to Samuel Sloman to Kai Forbath to uh, Matt Gay with everybody else in the middle. And part of that was uh, Jake McQuaid was the guy who, who basically referred. <laughs> yeah, I hope he got some kind of like a bonus or something there. One of those referral bonuses uh, for, for suggesting Matt Gay. Uh, to the Rams. So yeah, yeah, how about there you go, Jake McQuaid could watched be watched all uh, of his tape in his basement. Like uh, isn't that great? So I think that's you, fantastic. That's yeah. what you see. You see like uh like Heath Farwell up in Buffalo. They've got a pretty solid special teams unit. Heath Farwell was obviously like a lifer special teams guy up in Seattle and then was an assistant for, you know, two years in Carolina and took the the coordinator job up in Buffalo. And like guys guys who are out there, I remember covering them, him and Chase Blackburn um, at training mm -hmm. camp and guys who are out there with their, um, you know, their step counter uh, and heart rate monitors on and they're running sprints with like, on gunner drills, like they're running around and they're and I'm not saying, you know, I'm not this is not to knock Bonamego at all. Um, but it's just like sometimes there's just a, like if, if you are excited about life and the prospect of being in the world of special teams, yeah. um, I think you get a buy in in that regard. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a whole other world. So <laughs> yeah, you have to be, so, something's gotta be going on in your brain. I think, <laughs> I think. So, I think yeah. just my, my experience with like, like Carolina had like one of the last great special teams aces and Colin Jones and like, you just mm-hmm. gotta have something weird going on in your, <laughs> in your brain, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's, it's fun stuff, but we mean that in the best possible way. We mean way, that in the best yeah. possible way. Yeah. <laughs> something special, something really yeah. special in your brain. Yeah. Well, yeah. Jordan. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> did, did, did you want to add more? No, we were both going to say the same thing. I was going to remind everybody that we're going to be back actually next yes. Monday and we'll yes. have a little bit of a, a um, Rams Patriots recap, but we're also going to look ahead down the stretch for you guys and sort of attack some of our analysis of, of the season to this date. So we're really excited for that. And, you know, always, if you subscribe to theathletic.com through the 11 Personnel podcast, you can find my favorite thing in the world. What is it, Rich? A great deal. A great deal. I love a good discount. And as you guys know, and as we've sort of shared, um, you know, in certain parts of this podcast, you can always, always, always capitalize and, and get your favorite sports coverage um, through the 11 Personnel Podcast, which we also hope is your favorite Rams podcast. And you can show us by leaving us a, a review on um, Apple Podcasts. You can leave us a, what we hope, a five-star review, although we are quite biased about that. Um, and you can ask us questions on Twitter. We're, we're always available, Rich. Uh, why don't you tell everyone where they can find you? At Rich underscore Hammond uh, for me. And uh, there you can find out that the Rams are 6-0 <laughs> when they wear bone-colored uh, uniforms. And by the way, Special bonus for everybody who's made it to the to the end of this podcast. Uh, I, I was told on on Sunday that the uh, that the players are interested in wearing a bone and soul combo <gasps> at some point. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I'm interested I mean, in that. That's life changing, really. Oh my gosh! Um, so that's what you get from me. And if you want football analysis and really want to know what's going on with the Rams, you should follow at Jordan Rodrigue. Jordan with a U, R-O-D-R-I-G-U-E. Always a great follow every single day. Thanks, you guys, as always, for listening. Um, We so enjoy being your Rams podcast, and we'll catch you next time. 